Thank you so much, choir. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. Ephesians chapter 3 in your Bibles. And as you're you're turning there, we're going to talk about this subject this morning, the reason why we know people. I don't know if the thought has ever occurred to you, why have I been born at this time in history into this particular family in this particular area, why did I go to, why was I put rather in a time in time to go to a certain school, to work a certain job? Why was I born now as opposed to in the 16th century or if the Lord tarries into centuries that follow? What we're going to look at today is Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to try to walk through uh, verses 1 through 6 and then tie off with verse 7 and 8 kind of by way of application. And we're going to look at the, the, the question, why do we know people? And let, let me just give it to you up front. Here's the, here's the skinny of it. The reason why we know the people that we know is so that we can point them to Jesus Christ. Put in a different way, the reason why God has put us in our particular families and in, well, in this case, Franklin County, and because God has put us into particular jobs, He has put us there not just to have a family, not just to have a job, but He's put us there so that we can live in such a way and explain the gospel to where people can see us and not think that we're awesome, but we can use that as a platform to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the reason why we know people. And we're also going to talk about in these verses, we, we have an interesting term there in, in verse 3 and 4, and it is the word mystery. How many of you remember back in the day watching the show Unsolved Mysteries? You see a hand? All right. How many of you as a kid just simply saw the preview for like 15 seconds and you stayed up two hours after going to bed because unsolved mysteries and they've got some guy that looks like he's already dead talking about people who are and you're like sitting there in your bed not able to go to sleep. Well, in terms of mystery, I have a little quiz. You guys ready? We're going to take a group quiz, and this is a shared project. So if you're one of the awkward people who comes into church and sits like a robot and never talks to anybody, this might be a way that you can, um, in, in, in terms of uh, one show, explore the space. All right, ready? Here's the first question. This one's rather easy. What has leaves without branches? Tree, trees have good contract. Hey, man, honestly, it's a good thing. They have, they have branches. Unless you cut them all off, right? Okay. What has leaves without branches? Somebody says books. All right. Somebody put a uh, cookie on their shoulder because you are a smart cookie. Number two, which weighs more, a ton of two-ounce cotton balls or a ton of 10-pound gold bricks? We've got, sweat. We've got some people who are like, gold's more than, wait, a ton is a ton, right? Going back to school. All right, here's another one. This might be a little bit more complex uh, unless you're Stephen Lust. Um, I can outrun a horse. I can roar like a lion. But unlike my brothers, I can't do no flying. What am I? It's like in class. One time in class, uh, we were taking notes, and a professor, uh, he was just going fast, and somebody said, Sir, can you, can you, 
Dr. Windsor, can you spell that? And he goes, T-H-A-T, and goes straight on. Some of y'all get that. Spell that, big word, T-H-A-T. All right, cool. All right, here it is again. I can outrun a horse. I can roar like a lion. But unlike my brothers, I can't do no flying. What am I? You can talk to your husband or wife, for those of you who are like, this is so beneath me. You don't know this. Anybody want to take a stab at it? One more time. Here it goes. One more time. I can run, outrun a horse. I can roar like a lion. But unlike my brothers, I can't do no flying. All right, good try. You guys ready for the answer? Yes? Okay. All right. The intelligent ones are like, give me one more moment, please. Here it is. The answer is an ostrich. I can outrun a horse. I can roar like a lion. Ostriches have very strange vocal projections. It doesn't say roar exactly like. It says like a lion. And unlike my brothers, I can't do no, no flying. So an ostrich. And by the way, students, if you want to simply uh, never have anybody to sit with you at lunch ever, go ahead and say that to the table that you normally sit with. And they'll think that you are totally, completely weird. There's a lot of mysteries in life. Like, uh, you know... Women don't really understand the way that men think, and men don't understand the way that women think. And any man who says that he understands women, run, because he is crazy. Remember a few years ago, we were watching the championship NCAA game, and it was a blowout. Everybody had lost interest. This was just a group of 20s-ish people at somebody's apartment. And a girl grabbed the remote, and um, I guess, men, it is okay, you know, for women to grab the remote for the view. You know, men say, it's, that is my role. Okay, just, it's, it's cool. And so she grabs the remote and she begins to flip through the channels and just flipping, flipping, flipping. All of a sudden, boxing. And you can see like almost at, it, in unison, the guys all go, ooh. Like they're engaged. Like the, just men beating each other up has the men's attention. They're like, we're there. And the girl just simply keeps flipping the channel and says in a deadpan expression, why would we want to watch two sweaty guys hitting each other? And there are a lot of mysteries, things that we might not be able to totally understand. What the Bible explains is the mystery of what we call the church. So what we're going to do here, we're going to read a few of these verses, then we're going to break them down. Let me just go ahead and say up front, this is basically part one to a two-part message. This is going to be like the throw-up, the toss-up, and next week is going to be the serve, because there's simply so much here. So in verse one of Ephesians chapter three, here's the Apostle Paul coming off of a discussion saying that God has saved people and he's not building buildings but he's building people. So in verse 1, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now notice in most of your Bibles you'll have a line that goes right after that because it's almost as if the Apostle Paul says, you know what, before I pray for you guys, I need to make sure that you get it. If you want to make a note in your Bibles, he actually picks up the thought from verse 1 over in verse 14, where he says, for this reason, same phrase in verse 1, I bow my knees before the Father. So in verse 14, he begins and he finishes that prayer. But what we're going to look at is kind of like that parentheses in between. Verse 2, he says, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's 
grace. Now, now this word stewardship, if you're reading the King James Version, the word there is dispensation. Let's all say that. That'll be our big word for the day. Ready? Dispensation. Now, unless you're a pretty hardcore Bible scholar, you're like, what is a dispensation and why does it matter? Well, the dispensation, the word, literally means, I'm reading out of the New American Standard Version, it literally means a stewardship, which is, if you could compare it to a modern example, someone who's the manager of the store. They're the manager. They're the steward. So the Apostle Paul says that God has given stewardship of His grace, last part of verse 2, which was given to me for you. Verse 3, that by revelation, and the word here revelation is the same that's used for the book of Revelation, and the Greek word is apocalypto, which we get the word apocalypse. It literally means the unveiling of something that you couldn't see before the veil was taken off. So there was revelation made known to me. Check it out. Here it is. The mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So here's, he, now he's going to explain what this mystery is and why it matters. Verse 5. Which in other generations has not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy prophets, holy apostles rather, and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that, here it is, here, here is the mystery, that the Gentiles, people who are not Jewish, are fellow heirs, which means that you're both in the will of your Father, and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Notice he uses the phrase again there in verse 7, of which I was made a minister according to the, here it is, the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of His power. So, so if you want to just capture this, here's what's going on. The Apostle Paul says, the reason why I know you guys, the reason why we have connection is for the purpose of me being a witness for you and to you. I, God has put me into your life so that through my teaching, you can realize that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And let me just break into a little bit of application before we get to the application. That, once again, is the reason, if you're saved here today, that you know who you know. God has placed those people in your life for the purpose of you pointing them towards Christ. So here it comes down to the convicting question for you and I. Are our lives pointing to Christ or away from Christ? When people hear me talk and they hear your discussions, do they think that Jesus is real or do they think that this is a Sunday morning activity once a week? Everybody okay? I mean, when people look at us, do they see from the way that we organize our finances, by the way that we spend our time, by the way that we talk and the mannerisms, by the love in our life, by the compassion that we give, by our unwillingness to bend on truth, do people see Jesus in us? Man, as I was studying this, this really rocked my world. God said, man, Jeff, you're pastor of Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, but that doesn't mean anything because you want to go over to verse number 8, 
Paul says, to me, he's talking about what God gave him, the very least of all the saints. Paul's saying, you know what? All of my titles, such as earning these degrees, Paul would have like the modern equivalent of a PhD. (laughs) I mean, this guy was smart. What he says is that everything that I knew, all my titles, all of my accolades, everything I earned, it means nothing but only the grace of God matters. And just because I'm pastor of Rocky Mount Baptist Church, God said, Jeff, you must examine your life and do people see through you that I am real or when they look at you, do they think that I'm a fake? That's a convicting thing, right? There in verse 1, he says, I am the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice he didn't say I'm the prisoner of Caesar, which he actually was. You see, the Apostle Paul believed that, check, this is an awesome truth, that God is so powerful that if God did not want, did not allow the Apostle Paul to be a prisoner, then he wouldn't be a prisoner even though Caesar was in charge of the whole known world. And let me just be straight up with you guys this morning. If God is in control, then the things that happen in our lives, even if we cannot explain them, even if it's painful and we're like, God, this is messed up. Why, if you're good and if you're all-powerful, have you let these things happen? God's telling us, you just wait. You just wait. Because God does say that He will work how many things? Romans 8.28? What? All things together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So Paul is sitting here. He's in house arrest. He's in, he's in prison. And he says, I am the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. So what he's saying here is like, look guys, the reason why I'm in prison is because of you. <laughs> it, it is. He's like, I stuck up for y'all. You guys remember back when you were in um, like, you know, middle school or, or elementary school and you have people who say, I've got your back. Right? Anybody ever use that phrase? Okay, I got your back. If, you, if you're really trying to be tough, you know, you just throw a yo on the back of it. I got your back, yo. And... Uh, under 40, I guess, might make... Um, But what he's saying here is the reason why the Jews are trying to put me into prison is because I was determined that God wanted you to hear the gospel as well. Little application. How much are you and I willing to endure to bring the gospel to the people that we know, the people in our families, the people that we work with? Are we willing to really get down and dirty and pray for people and bring up those awkward subjects? You're, you're, you know, you're, you're like trying to pray for somebody and you, you, it's like you want to bring up the gospel, but it's like really awkward. Anybody ever been there? You're like not sure how to talk about it. You know, you're like watching a football game and your team scores and you're like, what am I supposed to say? Hey, did you guys know that Jesus scored the ultimate goal for us? I mean, like, what do you do? You don't know what to say. And guess what? For me and you, there's going to be a time to where we're just, it's just going to have to be, not horribly awkward, but it's just not going to be easy. We're going to have to suffer a little bit. It may be people looking at us and be like, you are a religious weirdo. They may not say that, but they may give you the look. Anybody ever seen or been given the look, Right? It's kind of the look that's just, you're like, okay, you don't need to say anything else even though you haven't said anything yet. It's the look. Even though people may give you the looks, the question is, and this is especially difficult, if someone in your family is not a follower of Jesus Christ, 
You have to get down there like the Apostle Paul and say, am I willing to suffer for people to hear the gospel? And you know what this revolves down to? You know what the, the bottom fulcrum is? Are we willing to get uncomfortable? It's really easy to get in church and get comfortable, isn't it? You know, it's like we have the same. Well, let's just be, be very real. Like we've got the same setup, And a lot of times we, we, we do our preaching at a certain time and we do our giving at a certain time or 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 there may be a certain way that we do the Lord's Supper or a way that we conduct our Sunday school class. And it's just kind of like a thing that we do. There's nothing wrong with order like that. But the question rather is, are we willing if God calls us to do something that we're not familiar with? Are we willing to get uncomfortable so that people can be saved? Um, because when Jesus was on the cross, I don't think that was very comfortable. And when the Apostle Paul was in prison, that wasn't very comfortable. It wasn't like, sweet, I get to go to prison! People are like, you are crazy, Paul. No, it's the question, am I, are we as a church, as a faith family, are we as a group, as a church, are we willing to get uncomfortable for the sake of the Gospel? And man, I think that the Lord could do so much in a church if we just as a group say, you know what, Lord, if it means that me altering a way that I live my life, we're not talking about necessarily changing around what we do on a Sunday morning, but saying, God, if there's something in my life that forces me to give it up, even though that means I get uncomfortable, if that means that you can work through me, so be it. So he's talking to the Gentiles, and he says there in verse number 2, You've heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Now, God's grace right here, we're going to go deep for a minute. You guys ready? Ready? All right, put on our seatbelts. Here we go. God's grace here is not referring to simply the food that we eat and the air that we breathe. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45 says, For God makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. That means that for every person living on planet Earth, there's a certain amount of God's grace that He just gives us to be able to live. And this God, the, the grace here, it's not exa- just a personal issue. You guys ever heard the song, In the Garden? All right? Pretty song. I remember growing up in church, there was this guy who would always sing it. I come to... And then he would sing, and then he would, he would begin to... Call on and You're like, wow, how long can this guy hold the note? And then I begin to think about the words of that song. Y'all okay? Some of you are like, wow, that was, that was strange. Um, opera on Sunday morning. Um, you think about the words of the song, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. I'm not saying we scratch that song from everything, but the grace of God is not something that we just hold on to. Like me and Jesus have our thing. We've got our relationship. Check it out. The grace of God is not given so that we'll simply feel good, but please hear me, but so that we'll be able to do what we could never do on our own. You could compare it this way. If you had a person in the military who... Uh, knew how to drive a tank. The purpose for the military training them to operate the tank is not so that they can beat all their friends in demolition derby on the weekend and borrow the tank. Likewise, if a soldier is trained in munitions and explosives, it's not so that he can get 10 pounds of C4 and make the family's 4th of July party really interesting. It's for, some of you guys are like, dude, that would be, yeah, it would be awesome. Um, by the way, random fact, I, I, 
soldier told me that one stick of C4 is enough to push seven Suburbans up in the air. And all the pyros said, amen. So, uh, moving on. But you could not have someone who's just using the resources of the commander for their own objectives. The reason why militaries train soldiers, it's so that the soldiers can, and you guys know this, right? It's so that the soldiers can complete the mission given by their commander. And the reason why God gives us grace is so that we can fulfill what is humanly impossible. You say, Jeff, what is, what is grace? What is God's grace? Well, God's grace has been put in an acrostic. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's everything that Jesus endured and suffered that God offers as a free gift to you and I. And at this point, our thinkers will say, okay, all right, if we believe that Jesus lived and he died, and we believe that he actually was the Son of God, isn't that kind of an abstract thing? Because even the Bible says that Jesus ascended into heaven, and he's not physically here anymore. Isn't that kind of a lame thing to tell people? Put your faith in Jesus, and he will change your life. A friend from Europe, when I was explaining the gospel, he says, Jeff, that is very abstract, Abstract meaning not practical, meaning not concrete. It would be an abstract thing, the grace of Jesus Christ, if it were not for regeneration. Amen? Regeneration, by way of review, is when we get saved for real. It's when we repent of our sin and God comes into our heart and radically changes everything. So the point that we no longer think the same way or really live the same way, but that before we're saved, life is about me, right? And then after I'm saved, life is all about Christ and all about the glory of God. And it's a radical change. And because of that, you can have a man for a, who can be addicted, let, let's say, to alcohol or to, uh, to drugs or a person in church who has never been saved, who's addicted to their own religious pride and arrogance, can believe with all their heart and repent towards Jesus Christ and He comes and He changes their heart and then you have the outgrowth of humility. The, the arrogant church person no longer lives in pride, but they live in humility. Their family goes from a place where everyone fights and argues all the time to where there's love in the home. You take the man who's been hooked upon all sorts of things and through the power of Jesus Christ, those chains are broken. And the money is no longer spent on things that destroy. But his kids can come home. As we spoke a few weeks ago about the young man at youth camp this summer who said that his dad had such a drinking problem that his mom had to carry him to a in-law's house. But now he's able to go home because dad is sober. That's how the grace of God is not just an abstract concept, but it's something that has the power to change. Please hear me. Not just change as it's thrown around, but radically change our lives. Praise to the Lord, church, that that's what God can do. Because the Apostle Paul, hop over again, this is kind of the other side of the argument. Again in verse number 8, he says, I was the least of all of the saints. 
And this does not mean a, a saint is a person who is above and beyond other Christians. It simply means all the saved people. The Apostle Paul, he says, I was lower than lowest, but Jesus through His grace saved me. And then finally, he, here's, what, here's what God's grace is. It enables us to do what's humanly impossible. What is that? Well, in the context. And context is what's going on in this passage. Here it is. The ability to suffer for people who don't even like you. Wow! What an amazing truth! I mean, you're saying that the Apostle Paul is suffering for people who don't even like him? Pastor David Platt said that through the Gospel, we are obligated to bring it, please hear this, to places around the world that desire to kill us because we're Christians. One example would be the Muslim world. But then he said, but we're going to take it to them nonetheless. Amen, church? Because when we look at ourselves, when we look at the Gospel, we see that God came into the world. This is, this is a... If you've been in church for any amount of time, this is a almost, we think it's a trivial fact, but it's so amazing that God assumed human flesh and blood. Jesus was not a spirit. He was a perfect God-man. And God came here. Not, not the South, necessarily. And no, Elvis is not. Anyway, 2,000 years ago, God came into time and space, and the people that God created killed the Creator. And Jesus came to suffer and to die. And Scripture says that in the book of Acts that God predestined Jesus to die. That means that Jesus was not walking around saying, okay, well, what's going to happen next? Whoa, who are these guys? What are you doing with me? Jesus knew that He was going to die. Not for necessarily His friends, but as Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, and that while we were still, what's it say, church? Sinners. Christ died for us. So the Apostle Paul is saying in the same way, God died for me because I was so unworthy and because I have His grace, I'm going to take it to you. So then, here's our second division. Our first division there, if you want to, for our note takers, would be that God gave Paul a job. And God gives us a job. And that is to have the stewardship of God's grace. And then in verses 3-6, through six, here's what's going on. Paul was given a vision. He was given revelation. He says that the church is the mystery. So, W.A. Criswell says it like this, that the church is God's plan for the world. And by the church, we don't mean this. Didn't we go over that? We're all on the same page? By the way, what, what is the church? A little Q&A. What is the church? Is this building the church? No. Well, what is the church according to the Bible? 
That's right. Man, you guys are awesome. Y'all got it. You know what? Most places around the U.S., they think that this building is the church. And that's why you have sometimes in churches just, well, I think the carpet should be this color. Or, you know, we need to vote to make sure that people don't harm the building. I love New Spring Church in Anderson, South Carolina. They built a huge building because so many people were coming to get saved. They had just thousands of people, mostly young people. And they had this new building that they had spent millions of dollars on. Not because they're trying to dump money in a hole, but they're like, man, if God's bringing people to be saved, we need to make room for them, right? Here's what the pastor said. First day, brand new building. They passed out markers. Not dry erase. We're talking about Sharpie permanent markers. And he said, everybody, what I want you to do, go to the wall and write down the names of lost people that you know. So that when people came to hear the Word of God, they would look. If they were, if they were Baptists, I mean, you know, they would sit in the same place every time, right? You know, it'd be like whole row open and there's this one, excuse me, sir. Yeah, please, please never do that because um, that's really weird. I had that happen to me one time, by the way, when to visit a church and there's like a whole pew and I was sitting on the end there and the couple said, excuse me, sir, um, you're in our seat. I looked down, there's like, you know, 40 seats. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And they're like, well, we've been here, coming here for 15 or 20 years, something like that, something. And we've always sat right here. If you don't mind, could you please move? I said, no problem. And I thought, I was like, man, what if I was lost? Like, what if, what if that was my first experience with church and with the followers of Christ? Anyway, um, we'll pray for them. But when people come in that building, they look at the walls and they realize the reason for this building is so God can build people in to followers of Him. That's what it is. So between, as W.A. Criswell says, the cross of Christ and the crown of Christ when He returns, there's something called the church. Now this is, this is an interesting thing because when you look at the Old Testament, for, for our, our, our Bible studiers here this morning, you see that the prophets knew several things. They knew that the Gentiles were going to be saved. And Gentiles, it's really cool because the word here is ethno or ethnos, which is where we get our word ethnicity. The different nations, the different people groups. They knew that the Gentiles would be saved, at least some of them, but they didn't know how it would really work with them coming into with Jewish people. like They knew that Jesus would come, but John the Baptist even thought at one time, he's like, well, are there going to be multiple Christ? You know, he said to Jesus when John the Baptist was in the prison, um, he said, are you the one that we should look for or should we look for others? There, there was kind of like a gray area and the way to explain it would be, how many of you guys have ever been to the mountains? Like the mountain mountains. I guess the, these, if you're from Florida, I, I look out and I see mountains. Okay, Rocky, but, but you know, some of you might be from more mountainous areas, and uh, I would still love to go in the mountain areas and find some mountain men. I think I saw one the other day in Walmart, and I said, howdy, and he just kind of looked at me, but I was like, whoa, I think he's a mountain man. But I didn't want to say that because you'll get probably beat up. But anyway, um, you, you, you're, you're driving, and let's say you're, you're 50 miles away, and you see this beautiful mountain range, and it kind of looks like all the same. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, there's, there's some peaks that are higher than others and some valleys possibly. And, um, but when you get closer, you see how there are very specific differences between the different peaks and such. In the Old Testament, they saw the mountain of God's grace from afar, but they didn't really know how it was going to work out. 
What happened, and uh, John Stott says it like this. Check it out. He says, The complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other through the union of both with Christ. This, it is this double union with Christ and with each other which is the substance of the mystery. They knew that people were going to be saved, but they didn't know that there was going to be Jew and non-Jew to be one in Jesus Christ. And that is one of the greatest witnesses throughout Scripture of the mystery of the Gospel. That God can take a man who makes six figures, who has been fed upon a silver spoon, who one day repents of his sin and trusts Jesus and is born again, and God can take a woman who has lived a life, let's say she's a prostitute, and she realizes that Jesus died for her, and she's born again, and she's saved. God can take a person from Northern Europe, and a person from South Africa, and a person from Korea, and from China, and from Franklin County, and from California, from everywhere around the world, and God can give them all one experience, and that is simply that everybody gets saved through Jesus. There you have it. And there you have the family of God. You know, I don't know, have you ever seen that song, I'm glad I'm a part of the family of God. Right? And we're, and we're singing it and you're, you're, you're holding the hand of the person next to you and you're not really sure if you're supposed to squeeze it at the end. Some of you guys have had this experience as well. Right? And you're like, I, we're all a part of the family of God, but these people around me are kind of weird, you know, and we don't really understand what that means. What it means is that through the gospel, the mystery that even the prophets did not understand because God had not revealed it to them, is that all of us, black, white, Asian, a different economic strata, people who have never smoked a cigarette in their life, the goody two-shoes on the outside, but arrogant hearts on the inside. And you take the person who's been hooked on everything you could ever be hooked on, including fishing hooks. I don't know where that came from, but I mean, they, they all come to Christ the same way. Let's just give praise to the Lord right now. I mean, the fact that Jesus has saved people from all throughout the world and He's made them become one in Jesus Christ. What a great truth! Now some of you are coming here and you're like, I understand what the mystery is, Jeff. I understand that it's the church between the cross and the crown, as W.A. Criswell says, but I've never really had much of a family. You know why? If you are here and your family situations are not good, you're like, I watch the Osbournes and I think they've got a good family compared to mine. Ultimately, flesh and blood only go so far. You ever heard the phrase, blood is thicker than water? But the power of the Spirit of God makes that look like nothing. The fact that you are, if you are really saved here today, you have a family all across the world. I remember when I went to Haiti on a mission trip and I met those Haitian believers and when the ones who are really saved, man, you look at them and you're like, you're like, whoa! You don't really say that because you'll scare them, you know? But you're, you can notice that there's a bond. Are you with me? You know what I'm talking about? There's a connection. There's something that we all have in common. And it's the grace of God. It's the mystery that God revealed to the Apostle Paul. 
talking to a guy this past week, and he said, asked me what I did, and I told him that I was here with you guys having a great time. And he said, well, how long have you been there? I said, well, eight, nine weeks. I guess today's the 10th week, I believe. And he said, how's it, how's it been? I said, man, it's been awesome. He said, well, it's a Baptist church. Give it a couple more weeks. <laughs> Seriously, he was serious. Let's prove him wrong. When Jesus said, my prayer is that they may be one. It didn't mean that we all put our arms around each other, pull out our cell phones and our cigarette lighters, and sing the Michael Jackson song, We Are the World. It didn't mean anything sappy or sentimental. But he simply meant that when you have one, I, I love this type of picture, a battleship, you have every person on board with a specific, our military people know this, a specific duty that is necessary in the fulfilling of the final and the ultimate task of that ship. And each one of us, if God has saved you and you're a part of this local faith family, I encourage you, I implore you, I beg you to act out, to live out the grace of God. It's not just to come and hear a sermon to say I liked it or I didn't like it or I liked the music or I didn't like the music. This is a place to come and God can use Use you with the way that He's made you and the grace that He's given you so that other people can come and be saved. Warren Wiersbe says it like this. Satan knows the Scriptures. By keeping, he's talking about God, by keeping his program for the church hidden, God prevented Satan from hindering the plan. Satan took Christ to the cross and by so doing, sealed his own doom. Satan had no concept that God could bring victory out of death. How many of you have ever read the book, uh, the series, The Chronicles of Narnia? How many of you have seen the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Anybody? Aslan, the lion, is the representation of Christ, and he goes willingly to be killed by the witch in place of a boy who had committed treason. And C.S. Lewis, that great writer, says that as Aslan went and sacrificed himself, allowed himself to be killed even when he could have destroyed all of the enemies, he was doing that to save the boy. And the witch thought that she had won. She thought that she had killed the great lion. But it says in the book that she didn't know that there was a... And this is not talking that the Bible endorses um, magic, but by way of metaphor, he said that she didn't know of the deeper magic, that a life that was given for a guilty one, would overturn death. Would overturn death. And that's the Gospel. Okay, well, Jeff, what do we do with this? Very quickly. Here's our application. Okay, what should I bring away from this? Here it is. Embrace and accept the mystery of the Gospel. Say, Jeff, I don't know everything about Christianity. Guess what? Neither do I, and nobody does. But when you look at verse number 7, you see that the gift of God's grace was given to the Apostle Paul. And in verse number 8, he says, it was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. You're here today, and you don't know everything about the Gospel. You do know that Jesus, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, that Jesus is the Son of God. And that you are a sinner who is separated from Him. And through faith in Christ, you can be saved and you can be changed. When we give the invitation in just a few moments, I encourage you to come and 
simply make, um, let everybody know that you're not ashamed of the Lord Jesus. If you're not saved right now, just trust Jesus Christ. I heard this story about a man who pulled up in a Beamer and he was in a back road and he saw this little boy and he said, son, do you know where Route 20 is? And the little boy said, no. He said, do you know where uh, Route 462 is? He says, no. He says, well, do you know how to get to State Road 52? The little boy said, no. And the man said, lean, rich guy leaned out the window and he said, don't you know anything? The little boy said, I know I'm not lost. And if you're not a theological, philosophical expert, one thing that you need to know is that without Christ, you are separated from God. And if you die without Christ, you will be eternally lost. But the message of the Gospel, the grace of God, is being extended to you. Not because of anything or who I am, but because of what Christ has done, He can save you today. Secondly, if you are saved, your calling is to manage the mystery. You notice back once again in verse 2, the stewardship to be a manager. What does a good manager do? A good manager uses his resources to make the business successful. Right? Those of you who are in management know this. They organize things in such a way that the business will prosper. And the reason why you know the people that you know, it's because God has given them to you so you can manage them for the glory of God. And I do believe that Many times God gives children to parents who are not following Christ. And when the parent hears one of their kids repeat something that the parent said, it's a little wake-up call, or so I'm told. And God can use the innocence of a child to turn a man, woman, mom and dad, to the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, I look at my life and I see I don't want my sweet baby to go down that road. Lord Jesus, would you save me? Would you come into my life? And would you make me the father? Would you make me the mother that I need to be? And God radically works through children to save parents. Thirdly, to focus on God's grace instead of your own weakness. Notice once again in verse 8, Paul says, hey look guys, I was the least of the least. And it was probably true. And many of you have come, as we talked last week, we had our props up here. And by the way, I hope that that didn't bother our ADHD people. We had props up here the whole time. We had bricks. We had whatever. We had uh, baggage here. We think about all of those bags. Some of you have come with baggage, and Satan will tell you, because of what you have done in your life, Jesus cannot. Or because of what you have done in your past, you have limitations. Listen. Paul never focused on what he could not do, but he focused on the greatness of God. You guys ever seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite? Okay. Uncle Rico was a character who simply lived in the past. Don't live in the past. Live with the belief and the commitment that I'm going to focus God upon your strength. God, I don't know everything. I can't do everything. I don't know how to share the gospel the way that I should. I don't know how to live the way that I should, but I'm going to focus on how great you are. And finally, there in verse 1 and over in verse 14, we see the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the people so that the final exhortation to you and I is for us to really pray for people. Pray for people. Pray for them. Get down and dirty and pray. Pray and ask God. Ask God. Plead with God. Say, God, would you save this person? Would you save my mom? Would you save my dad? Would you save my friend? Lord Jesus, please break through. And the Bible does say it's effective, fervent. Prayer of a righteous person avails much, meaning it produces much. Not because of our awesome praying ability, but because of God's awesome power.
couple years ago, I was able to go on a, a diving trip in the Florida Keys. I'd never been diving before, and, and they put a, um, a weight belt around me. And I didn't think that was a very wise decision if you're in a lot of water. You've got lead weights on you, and then they have, uh, you've got our mask, and then they give you the snorkel, uh, except for it's hooked up to a hose to a lawnmower engine floating on an inner tube. This was basically like redneck scuba. That's the best way that I can explain it. And if the motor happens to stop, you've got to be very careful because it will suck all the air out of your lungs and you're kind of like that. It's a very strange sensation. So my first time going down, they said, um, the leader, my friend's dad said, remember to stay together. And the current was very, very, very swift that day. And it was under a section of a bridge down in the Keys. And the water was unusually dark. And right when we dropped. I mean, I dropped, and I tried to clear my ears, and I was able to do that, but I was swept along by the current. This is, how many of you have ever been, I mean, ever dive, dove, whatever, okay. It can be scary, right? Underneath the water being pulled along, and I could not see but maybe one or two foot in front of, of my face, and I didn't know what was happening. The part of the, uh, of the cord was wrapped around me, and I said, this is not good. I'm not the sharpest knife in the door, but I can say this is not good. And uh, mom has never heard this story. She may listen to it on the internet. Um, you've already heard the adage, uh, what mama doesn't know won't hurt her. It'll probably hurt you, right? And so I'm going down and I begin to panic a little bit. And then all of a sudden, I turn and there's my friend. And he comes and he grabs me and he goes like this. The surface, and see, he helps me get to the surface. And I look back on that. Evan Smith, one of the craziest guys I've ever known in my life. I remember the movie Fireproof, and it says that you never leave your partner. He didn't leave me, he came and found me. And Paul was a steward of God's grace to go find people who needed to hear the gospel. And the application for you and I is who do we need to go find? God is moving upon your heart today and you know of someone who's not saved who needs to be. Just commit your heart today to the Lord Jesus. Say, God, would you help me to go find them? And through whatever means, it may be inviting them to church, it may be sharing my testimony, it may simply be a phone call that says, I care about you and I want you to be saved, but I will not leave my friends. Let's bow our heads. God's moving upon you. The invitation is very simple. If you need to be saved, just in the quietness of this moment, the Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've never been saved right now, just call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Just tell Him that you believe that He is real and repent of your sins. Place your faith in Him. The Bible says that you will be saved. And if you're here today and you have been saved, but you've never been baptized before, and you want to follow Christ as Steve Taylor did last week and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and come and uh, take me by the hand. I'll be down here. We're not going to embarrass you and just say, Jeff, I need to be baptized and we'll baptize you. If you're here and you've been saved, you've been biblically baptized and you are coming from another church, God has brought you to join Rocky Mountain Baptist and to join the battleship of the gospel that's going out of this place. We're going to ask you to come. And if you know of someone God has placed upon your heart. We want to open this up, the front, these steps, this area that we call the altar, and come and kneel down before God and just say, God, I'm asking you through my humility and my contrition 
to save and you fill in the blank. Lord, we ask that you would work during this time and you would help whoever needs to make a decision or a commitment towards you that today is the day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.